Thank you. And uh, good morning. And those songs, to me, very, very stirring and also very helpful because they're both about the theme we're preaching on today, breaking the chains, the liberation from slavery in Exodus, and also the song where we sing about God being our provider, our redeemer. This fits in really well, almost as well as Anthony Sisko's cartoon in your newsletter, which you won't look at now because you're focused on the message. My name is Douglas Jacoby, and I'm bringing the uh, message today, which is a joy, in our Exodus series. And as you can see, well, as you cannot see, we're only about halfway through because it goes way past today and next week. But today we'll be looking at the seven I wills of deliverance. Uh, usually when I get up, I share a little bit about uh, where I've been going since you've helped me to go there. Last, uh, last time we talked about the communist nations of the world, and since I just got back from Cuba, I shared just a little bit about that. There are many other things coming up this week. I'll be heading to Washington, D.C. to look at the Bible Museum, uh, which just opened a few months ago with a friend of mine, and then heading to Winnipeg, uh, which is in Canada, which is uh, right about there in Manitoba, and then over to Toronto to spend some time, probably the last time to spend with our friends uh, uh, Guy and Kathy Hammond. And Kathy has, uh, she's been suffering from brain cancer for a while and just has a few weeks to live. Uh, so I'll bring back reports very soon. There are lots of really cool places coming up. My wife and I are heading to China soon. Uh, there's Israel, of course. And that's my mission report. Thanks for bearing with me. The seven I wills of deliverance. Now, what's going on here? Well, we've advanced a little bit since the last message. There's an incident, and if you're following along at Exodus, it all fits in. But if not, I can fill you in. Moses goes to Pharaoh, who's basically, Pharaoh just means the king, and he makes his appeal. Having overcome his excuses, he makes his appeal. Pharaoh says, no way. In fact, we're going to make your oppression harder. Bricks without straw. Those who study these things and like archaeology have found places where they've made bricks. And without the binding agent in straw, you have to put something in there to keep the bricks together. So that is an important thing. But he said, you go gather your own bricks. These guys then, who had been encouraged by Moses' message, the Hebrews, said we're not encouraged at all. And then at the end of chapter 5, Moses complains to God. And he says, I did what you said, and you have not delivered us at all. You're a non-deliverer. And so that's where, that's where we are. The folks could use a bit of encouragement. They are trapped. They're trapped in a system uh, that is exploiting them, where money is the bottom line, or you could say productivity. If you were with the men in this auditorium Wednesday night, Jeff Hickman brought that to light. Jeff, the series designer. The people are trapped. It's not just that they don't have freedom, they can't walk away, but the whole slave mindset, the slave mentality, not only of them, but even of the Egyptians, uh, is really, really strong. This is our sermon text. I know it says 6 to 12, but, but the message really just comes from that one verse. And there are uh, actually a lot of single verses in the Bible that, would, that are sturdy enough to support a whole message. I thought of Genesis 6-6 or Galatians 6-6. Maybe there are 20 or 30 6-6s like that. But this is our text. It's about 1290 B.C. This is 13th century B.C. And this is our passage. Therefore, 
say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'll give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. This is our passage. And it's little surprise that it has inspired this theme of deliverance of the Exodus is constantly referred to in the Old Testament and in the New. And just as Christians look at the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus as at the center of our salvation, the Old Testament people of God looked at the Exodus. Exodus, you could say, I guess you could say Exodus 12 is their Acts 2. Just like our Acts 2 would have been their Exodus 12. But when we look closely, we notice a lot of repetition in what I just read. Some translations might try to make it sound better, but if it destroys the repetition, then, then we, we lose the actual emphasis. But what word do you see over and over? You, over and over. It's I will. I'll bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. He's not saying we do this to ourselves. In fact, in this passage, you'll see seven things that God says he will do. And I suppose that's why some Bible commentators call these the I wills. Now today, we're only going to look at a couple of these. This will be finished off next week. Hopefully, we won't be finished off. So these are those seven statements. And you'll notice not just the I will, but the implication is it's about God, not about you and me. This is not, you know, this was a positive thinking seminar. I will, I will would be something we tell ourselves. But that kind of positive thinking and God has a dream for your life is alien to the Bible. You won't find anything in the Bible about God having a special dream or plan for your life. He has a plan for your character and it involves suffering. The spotlight is not on us as individuals. The spotlight is upon the Lord. He is the one who will do this. And God connects to his people in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way to Revelation. He connects to his people through covenants. And so, I, although I was given 6 to 12, not by God, by Jeff Hickman, I'm backing up one verse because I think it's important for this context. I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. The Lord had made a covenant with Adam, with, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He has made many covenants. He'll make a covenant which we call the Old Testament, the Jewish law. The New Testament is a covenant, and there are many others, covenants with David, for example. So it's in this context, it's not just, well, these are things God does. He remembers his covenant. He remembers his initiative. It was his promise. Because God is the provider. He cares. He initiates. 
and he provides. Okay, back at the, if we look at the seven I wills, you'll notice you can group them this way. And I think it makes sense. Like the last one, I'll bring you into the land. I'll give it to you for a possession. So that's about fulfilling the land promise, the promise in Genesis 12.3, which actually was finished in Joshua 21.43. So there's no need today for Israel to have land because that was fulfilled. And it was even fulfilled a second time when they came back from captivity in the 500s BC. You've got adoption. But we're going to be talking about these first two, liberation, and then we'll talk about redemption, being freed and being redeemed. Hope that makes sense. That's our focus, and as you can see, both of those come from that single verse, 6-6. These are not things we can do on our own. We do not have the power to save. We do not have the power to part the sea, to rescue ourselves. Cannot be done. Biblically and repeatedly emphasized, God is a deliverer. Like in Isaiah 59, a passage some Christians only know as having a good verse or two about sin. That's true, but it also has passages on zeal and God being the deliverer and the armor of God and so forth. This has been greatly misunderstood, I think, in modern times. When we hear the word deliverance in a Christian context, it might be deliverance from some tormenting spirit or it might be deliverance from your backache or your headache or your footache, which were actually not things that Jesus cured in the Bible. He was more into giving you your arm back that you lost, removing leprosy or bringing you back to life. Something hit me. I try to keep up with the news, uh, particularly how people think about the world. And I came across this beautiful nugget in BBC. BBC has a really great news app, if you're into that. So does Al Jazeera, so does CNN. This is from Africa, and the fellow's name I'll tell you in just a second, but he got in trouble, he got arrested. Maybe you can guess what he did. I'll give you two things. The insecticide is called Doom, and the song he taught his church goes like this. It's called Muk Gopong Night Prayer. By my name you shall drive out demons. By my name you shall pick up snakes. Anything you touch receives favor because of the anointing upon you. Doom is just a name, but when you speak to it, it becomes a healing product. It does. People get healed and delivered through doom. Not by might nor power, but by my spirit, we give God the glory. And what he claimed is he would have people come up and he would spray their face with insecticide and then that would take away HIV and cancer. Okay, that's a bit twisted, wouldn't you say? There, there are a lot of guys like this. One guy, he, he fed his uh, followers rocks. He made them eat rocks because he claimed he could convert them into, into bread. Others he made eat snakes. They eat snakes and rats. And it just goes on and on. The phenomenal creativity of us human beings is just amazing. But what is deliverance really? Let's not talk about the silly stuff. Well, there are a couple kinds of deliverance we may need. When it comes to oppression and pain, 
we get out indignant when it's done to others, or we should, but usually we get more indignant when it's done to ourselves. That is, a huge amount of the suffering in our lives is something we do to ourselves. It's self-inflicted. I could give you an example. You may not be close enough to me to, to see this, but a few nights ago, I was just walking back into the bedroom and I misjudged where the furniture was. And as I was trying to tiptoe into bed not to disturb my wife, I was putting my slippers on the floor and I didn't want the shoe to drop and make a noise, so I bent over and I went right here into the dresser. Now, I would like to say that it wasn't me because I'm a very coordinated guy. I would like to tell you that I'd never broke seven of my 10 toes, but the seven of my 10 toes would disagree with that. But it w I was whacked, it was hard. And I thought, I didn't see lights, but I went into bed, I put my head down, it's throbbing, touched it, I didn't see any blood, couldn't feel any blood, but the blood was actually leaking out and the next morning it was all over my left eye. I'm gonna have a nice little scar. So I would like to uh, claim that the assailant was the dresser instead of me, but that just doesn't work. Self-inflicted pain and suffering. And I've done a lot to myself. I can blame no one but him. And it's not just walking into things, although that's one of my specialties. Um, it's just doing things that hurt relationships, sometimes forgetting commitments I've made until the last minute. I mean, there are things we do. We can't really blame anyone else. You can, but no one's going to believe you. But the truth is, deliverance that we need is not just that kind. It's from evil. It's deliverance from slavery, as you see these ancient Egyptian slaves. I'm really into Egypt right now, maybe because of Jeff's series. Um, I got this... Uh, I'm listening to it when I drive. It's, it's lessons on ancient Egypt, what life was like. I'm getting fired up. But they were far more advanced than we would ever realize, and it's been extremely encouraging. But do, do we not need deliverance from drudgery? The truth is, if you're paying off debts or you've not been wise financially, Proverbs says the borrower is servant to the lender. And that's not fun. It's not fun to be in debt. It's not fun to be in the hole. There are cycles of sin. There are harmful relationships. And we don't want to fall back into slavery. As I mentioned before, it's, it's not just that someone else owns our time. It's that mentality that Pharaoh, I guess Pharaoh's right. It's all about production. I take encouragement. My crew made 350 bricks this afternoon. His crew only made 310. And we have these arbitrary goals from work. We're killing ourselves for things that don't really matter. It's not that they're not necessarily okay or useful. I'm just saying, ultimately, take the long view of things. They don't matter. And our perspective is all messed up. We don't want to fall back into slavery. Deliverance. But closely connected with that is the theme of redemption. Now, redemption is being bought back. 1 Peter 1.18 says that it wasn't with, well, let me make it positively. We were purchased back by the precious blood of Jesus from an empty, 
way of life handed down to us by previous generations. We're redeemed. We're brought back. We're bought back. Well, if we're bought back, who got the money? Who got the payment? One of the seven, six or seven uh, images of what Jesus Christ did for us in the Bible is ransom. We were ransomed. Who owned us? Well, very clearly, the evil one owned us. And biblically, he received that ransom. Redemption through Christ, through his blood. Redemption even of our bodies, ultimately, when we are resurrected. And it's an eternal redemption. This is beautiful. So God is not just our deliverer. He's our redeemer. And you'll find that theme in Isaiah 54. There's all of this stuff you'll find all over the Bible. Because God loves, he's relational, not mechanical. He cares about us, not for our production or what we could do for him. In Egypt, the ancient gods did not have such relationships with humans. The ancient gods exploited the humans just as the humans got something back in exchange. These are the seven I wills. And you may have noticed the phrase, I am the Lord, which appears repeatedly, not just in chapter 6, but 15 times in Exodus. Now let me, I have to address something, I'm a, I fear it may be a bit technical. With permission, just nod, no, not off, just nod that way if it's okay. 30 seconds, okay? He does not say, the, the Bible does not say, I am the Lord, but I am the Lord. And in English Bibles, there's a huge difference. I still don't know why they translate it Lord with capitals. Because the first Lord is like Lord and servant, right? The second one, though, is I am. That's Yahweh, which in Hebrew is four letters. So normally it's translated Lord, English four letters. But it doesn't mean Lord. Because if, if he kept saying I am the Lord, you would think that he's emphasizing lordship, you obey me, I'm the Lord. But it's not the word at all. It's I am Yahweh. I am the L-O-R-D. It's who I am, the one who revealed himself to you by that name, Moses, Exodus 3, Exodus 6. Uh, beautiful, beautiful passage. Generally, the really good Bible scholars make their own translations. And there's one of our passage from Exodus. It's by Durham. I myself have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel, whom the Egyptians have forced into slavery, and so I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you forth from the crush of the oppressive labors of the Egyptians, and I will snatch you forth from slavery to them, and I will act as your rescuing kinsmen with arms stretched out and with great deeds of vindication. And it goes on. See me in the fellowship if you want to read it yourself. But it's really about who God is. What God does, what he will do, what he promises, is based in who he is, not in our mighty deeds. Okay, fair enough, Douglas, but what does this mean? 
well, it means a number of things. Firstly, we should appreciate the story of the Bible, the big story, and appreciate what Jesus Christ has done. And I think we can do that when we pray for deliverance from evil. I mean, Jesus said, pray, deliver me from evil. Deliver, not me, deliver us from evil, because prayer is a group thing. It's a corporate thing. We need to be delivered from evil, whether we're the instigators or whether it's something being forced upon us. I also find, although prayer is not easy for me, I frequently thank God for my salvation. It's been a long time since I was a non-Christian, and sometimes we can glorify those old days, but anytime I think honestly about it, there's no way I would want to go back to those days of uncertainty and sin. What should I do but appreciate what Jesus has done? And since we're taking months to go through Exodus, I hope you're moved to study Exodus, but really trying to be faithful to the text. We have plenty of copies of the other book. Many of you are following along. If you like that, you can get that later. But whatever we can do so that we more deeply appreciate the Lord. Secondly, receive Christ's liberation and redemption. Well, how do we receive that? Well, the Bible says, just as the Israelites went through the Red Sea, through the water, we go through the waters of baptism. That parallel is made, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Peter 3, and you've got another 28 baptism passages that indicate this is the time that God takes us on as his children. But don't get overconfident. 1 Corinthians 10 parallels the Old Testament people of God coming out of Egypt, even though every one of them experienced God's mighty hand, his deliverance, the vast majority fell in the desert because of their sin. They did not make it to the promised land. And the Apostle Paul, using that theme in 1 Corinthians 10, says we're no different. I mean, they went through the water. They had bread and wine just like we do. They had their own kind of communion. And yet, they did not make it. God doesn't care if you're baptized. God doesn't care if you take communion once a week like the Bible teaches, if that's all it is. You're not going to be saved by sacraments. We're going to be saved by the Savior. And we've got to not look to ourselves because we cannot save ourselves. If we get too casual about sin, and that's the danger in a society like ours where materialism is competing for our minds and energy and the videotronic world grabs anything that's left, we become casual about sin. We become casual about sin, whether it's laziness, gluttony, sexual lust, whether it's envy, greed, jealousy, bitterness. We get casual about sin and we can end up becoming casualties of sin. And that's just the way it works. And last, what should we do with this grand theme that Yahweh is our deliverer, our redeemer? We should simply share it with others. Share it with others. Now, we'll continue next week looking at the second two, the second half of these I wills, which are adoption and possession.
But for now, I want you to hold that thought as we pray for the bread and wine. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for revealing who you are to us in Scripture. We would not have figured it out, or we would have forced our own ideas into into the Bible to make it say what we thought already. Thank you for correcting our confusion. Lord, rescue us from the oppression of the world. Rescue us from ourselves and the stupid things we do to ourselves. Lord, redeem us. We believe you have redeemed us through the blood of Christ, and yet we look forward to the final and eternal redemption through Jesus Christ. For the bread and the wine that represent his sacrifice for us, we thank you now. Amen.